0: Chapter 11 of the Steam House. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Steam House by Jules Verne. Translated by Agnes D. Kingston. Chapter 11 The murderous thugs from whom India appears now to be delivered have left worthy successors behind them. These are the Decoits who are really only thugs, with a the difference. These assassins have not the same object in view, and they carry it out in another way, but the result is identical. It is premeditated murder, assassination. The thugs devoted their victims to the ferocious Kali, goddess of death, and effected murder by strangulation. The Dacoits practice poisoning for the purpose of robbery. They are more commonplace criminals than the fanatical thugs, but quite as formidable. Certain territories of the peninsula are infested with bands of dacoits, recruited ever and anon by such evil doers as manage to slip through the fingers of Anglo-Indian justice. Day and night, they haunt the highways of the wilder and more uncultivated regions, the Bundelkund in particular, affording them favorable localities for their deeds of violence and pillage. At times, the bandits unite in numbers to attack a lonely and defenceless village the wretched population has no safety but in flight torture awaits all who remain in the hands of the Decoits. their cruelties according to mr louis rousselet surpass all that imagination can conceive colonel monroe had fallen into the power of a band of Decoits conducted by Caligani. rudely torn from his companions he found himself hurried along the road to jabalpur before he had time to collect his thoughts the conduct of kalagani from the day he joined our party had been that of a traitor he was the emissary of nana sahib the instrument chosen by him to procure his revenge it will be recollected that on the twenty-fourth of may at bhopal during the festival of the Muharram, which the Nabob had audaciously attended he had become aware of sir edward monroe's departure on a journey to the northern provinces of india kalagani one of the followers most absolutely devoted to his cause and to his person had then instantly quitted Bhopal. His orders were to throw himself on the track of the colonel, to find and to follow him, and at all hazards to obtain confidential employment about the person of the enemy of Nana Sahib. Without an hour's delay, Kalagani had pushed northwards. He overtook the steamhouse train at Kanpore, and from that moment never lost sight of it but failed to find opportunity to do more therefore when colonel monroe and his party were installed in the sanitarium on the himalayas he determined to enter the service of matthias Van Geet. caligani foresaw that almost daily intercourse would infallibly take place between the kraal and the sanitarium he was right and immediately succeeded not only in attracting the notice of colonel monroe but in securing a claim upon his gratitude the most difficult part of his mission was thus accomplished. We know the sequel. The Indian often came to Steamhouse. He became acquainted with our future plans. He heard what route Banks proposed to take when the journey was resumed. Thenceforth, one single idea and design possessed him, that of securing the office of guide to the expedition. For the attainment of his purpose, Caligani left no stone unturned he risked his own life and that of others under what circumstances the reader will not have forgotten but they demand explanation he wished to disarm suspicion by accompanying the expedition at first starting without leaving the service of van Giet, hoping that something might afterwards lead to the very post being offered to him which it was his sole object to obtain but the union of the two parties could not be effected while the dutchman had his full complement of draught oxen or rather buffaloes "'Deprived of them, he would be obliged to seek the aid of Behemoth. "'That the buffaloes might leave the enclosure and wander away during the night? "'Kalagani, at the risk of such disaster as actually occurred, "'withdrew the bolts and left the gate open. "'Tigers, panthers, and what not rushed into the kraal. "'The buffaloes were killed or dispersed. "'Several natives lost their lives. "'What matter? "'The plan had succeeded.' And Matthias van Giet was forced to entreat Colonel Munro to help his menagerie along the road to Bombay. He did not do this without an attempt to make up his teams, but this was naturally a matter of great difficulty in the desert region of the Himalaya, and the business being entrusted to Kaligani had not the slightest chance of success. The result was that Matthias van Giet with his whole menagerie and personal goods travelled in tow of Behemoth to Itawa station. There, availing himself of the railway, Kalagani and the other Shikarees became of no further use to him, and were consequently dismissed. Banks, observing the embarrassment evinced by Kalagani, and well aware of his intelligence and perfect acquaintance with this part of India, concluded that he would render important service as a guide, offered him the situation. It was accepted, and from that moment caligani held the fate of the expedition in his hands who could suspect treason in a man always ready to venture his life once only was caligani on the point of betraying himself it was when banks spoke of the death of nana sahib an incredulous gesture escaped him he shook his head like one who knows better than to believe what is stated to us however it seemed only natural that he in common with his race should regard that fiendish man with superstitious veneration and believe he bore a charmed life kalagani may have had our news confirmed when certainly not by accident he met an old comrade in the caravan of the brinjarees whatever he may then have heard he in no way changed his tactics but led us on through the defiles of the vindias and finally after the various adventures which have been related to the banks of Lake Puturia, amid whose waters we were forced to take refuge. Then, under pretext that he would seek help at Juburpur, the traitor proposed to leave us. Dissembler as he was, a peculiar change of countenance aroused Colonel Munro's suspicions, and he ordered Gumi to accompany him. The two men plunged into the lake and within the hour reached its southwestern bank. They proceeded together through the darkness of the night, one full of suspicion the other ignorant that he was suspected. Gumi, therefore, as faithful to his colonel as McNeil could be, had the advantage. During three hours, they journeyed side by side along the road, which leads across the southern slopes of the Vindyas to the station of Jabalpur. The fog became less dense, and Gumi closely surveyed his companion. A strong knife hung at his girdle. Gumi, rapid in all he did, was prepared to spring on his companion and disarm him on the slightest suspicious movement unfortunately the faithful fellow had no time to act as he intended the night was pitchy dark even a moving figure could not be discerned a few paces distant thus it happened that at a turning in the path a voice suddenly called kalagani here i am Nasim replied the hindu at the same instant a strange shrill cry sounded to the left of the way this sound was the kisri of the fierce tribes of the gondwana well known to Gumi. he was taken by surprise and attempted nothing the cry was a summons to a whole band and even had he struck down kalagani of what use would that have been escape he must escape he must fly at once and strive to rejoin his friends so as to warn them of their danger once more by the lake he would endeavour to swim back to them and prevent any attempt to reach the shore. Without an instant's hesitation, he moved aside, and while Caligani joined Nassim, who had spoken, sprang into the jungle and disappeared. Presently, Caligani turned back with his accomplice, intending to rid himself of the companion thrust upon him by Colonel Munro. But Gumi was gone. Nassim was the chief of a band of dacoits devoted to the cause of Nana Sahib. When he heard of Gumi and that he had fled, he dispersed his men on all sides in pursuit. It was important to secure at any price so brave an adherent of Sir Edward Monroe. But search was useless. gumi made good his escape. What, after all, had these dacoits to fear from him? He was thrown on his own resources, in a wild and unknown country, already three hours' march from Lake Puturia? make what speed he might he could not reach it before they did kalagani took his measures he conferred for a few moments with the chief of the dacoits who appeared to await his orders and the whole band was speedily in hasty march towards the lake now by what means had this troop been summoned from the gorges of the Vindyas? how were they made aware of the approach of colonel monroe to the neighbourhood of puturia by who was none other than the indian who followed the caravan of Brinjares? in fact everything that happened was the result of a well-laid plan in which colonel monroe and his companions merely acted the parts prepared for them and thus at the moment when the train touched the southern border of the lake the dacoits were ready to attack it under command of Nasim and Kalagani. it was their object to seize colonel monroe alone his companions abandoned to their fate in this wild region their last house destroyed were powerless he only therefore was made prisoner and hurried away so that by seven o'clock in the morning lake peturia lay six miles behind them sir edward at once concluded that his enemies having secured him in this desolate place would never let him leave the vindhya region alive yet the brave man maintained his calm and dignified aspect he walked with the utmost coolness in the midst of his savage captors ready for anything that might occur and by no sign or look showing that he perceived Caligani. flight was of course impossible for although unbound he was so closely surrounded that no gap in the crowd was available besides instant recapture must have ensued all the circumstances of the case passed in review before the colonel's mind. Was it credible that this seizure was brought about by Nana Sahib? Impossible. Was not that terrible man dead? Yet it might be that to some devoted follower, perhaps to balaurao he had bequeathed the fulfillment of his long cherished revenge. Thus only could Sir Edward account for his misfortune. Then he thought of poor Gumi he was not apparently a prisoner of these dacoits. Could he have escaped from them? It was possible. Had he not rather been slain at once? That was much more likely. But supposing him to be safe and at liberty, might his assistance be reckoned upon? It was hard to say. If he had pressed forward to demand help at Jabulpore, he would arrive too late if on the other hand he had gone to rejoin banks in the rest of the lake what could be done destitute as they were of all stores and supplies they might endeavor to reach jabalpuri but long ere they could do so the unhappy captive would be dragged into the inaccessible retreats of the robbers among the mountains the case appeared hopeless as colonel monroe carefully and deliberately examined its bearings he would not despair neither would he indulge in groundless visions of deliverance. The Dacoits marched with extreme rapidity. Nassim and Kaligani seemed anxious to reach before sunset an appointed rendezvous, where their prisoner's fate would probably be decided. Colonel Monroe was equally anxious to advance and end his suspense. Once only, for half an hour at midday, Kalagani called a halt. The Dacoits carried provisions— which were eaten by the margin of a little brook a morsel of bread and dried meat was given to the colonel who ate it readily not wishing to refuse what was necessary to sustain his powers at this dreadful crisis by this time they had travelled nearly sixteen miles when kalagani gave orders to resume the march they still proceeded in the direction of jabalpur it was not until five o'clock in the afternoon that the dacoits abandoned the highway and turned off to the left then indeed did sir edward monroe feel that he was beyond human help god alone could save him now in a short time kalagani and his followers were passing through a narrow defile at the extreme limit of the valley of the Nerbuda, and approaching the wildest and most savage part of bundelkund the place is two hundred and sixteen miles from the pal of tandit at the east end of the sautpura mountains which may be called the western point of the vindias on one of the spurs of which stood the ancient fortress of ripore now long abandoned because when the defiles were occupied by the enemy even in small numbers it was impossible to obtain supplies this fort occupied a commanding position which formed a kind of natural redan five hundred feet in height and overhanging a wide gorge amidst adjacent precipices the only access to it was by a narrow winding path cut in the solid rock and extremely difficult even for foot soldiers dismantled walls ruined bastions crowned the summit a stone parapet guarded the esplanade from the abyss beneath and part remained of the building which had served as barracks for the little garrison of ripore one alone was left of all the guns which had formerly defended the fort this was an enormous cannon pointed from the front of the esplanade too heavy for removal too much impaired to be of any value it had been left there a prey to devouring rust this piece of artillery in size and length was a match for the famous bronze cannon of Bilsa, which was cast in the time of jihangir and is an enormous gun six yards in length with a calibre of forty-four. It might also bear comparison with the equally celebrated cannon of Bijapur, whose detonation, according to the natives, was enough to overthrow every building in the city. Such was the hill-fort of Ripore, to which Kalagani led his prisoner. It was late when they reached it, after a fatiguing march of more than five-and-twenty miles in whose presence was colonel monroe about to find himself he was soon to know at the further end of the esplanade a group of natives could be seen within the ruined barracks they left it and advanced while along the opposite parapet the dacoits ranged themselves in a half circle of which colonel monroe occupied the centre he stood with folded arms awaiting his fate caligani quitting his place in the ranks advanced a few paces to meet the party. A native, simply dressed, walked in front. Before him, Caligani bent respectfully and kissed his extended hand, receiving a sign of approbation for good service rendered. His leader then approached the prisoner, deliberately, but with flaming eyes, and in every feature showing symptoms of rage, intense, although restrained. He was like a wild beast drawing near his prey colonel monroe let him come he drew not back an inch but regarded the man as fixedly as he was himself regarded when but five paces apart tis only Bala rao said the colonel in a tone of profound contempt look again returned the hindu nana sahib cried colonel monroe and now indeed he started back nana sahib alive it was indeed the nabob himself the notorious leader of the sepoy revolt the deadly enemy of sir edward monroe who then fell at the pal of tandit his brother balaurao the extraordinary resemblance of these two men both marked with smallpox both having lost the same finger of the same hand had deceived the soldiers of lucknow and campore they had not hesitated to express absolute certainty that that man was the Nabob, who in fact was his brother. The mistake was inevitable, and thus government was informed of the death of Nana Sahib while he yet lived, and Balaurao was no more. He failed not to take advantage of this new aspect of affairs by which almost absolute security was afforded him no such indefatigable search would be made for his brother as for himself because neither had he taken a leading part in the campore massacres nor had he the pernicious influence possessed by the nana over his countrymen nana sahib therefore resolved to maintain the idea of his death and renounced for the present his insurrectionary schemes devoting himself wholly to private revenge never had circumstances in this respect so favored him colonel monroe had left calcutta on a long journey by which he meant to reach bombay believing it possible to decoy him across the bundelkund into the lonely region of the vindias nana sahib had previously put that mission into the hands of the crafty Kaligani. after the affair at the pal of tandit he himself of course quitted what was no longer a safe retreat and plunging into the narbura valleys concealed himself among the deep gorges of the Vindyas. There, with a band of followers devoted to his person, he established himself in the deserted fort of Ripore, where he was soon reinforced by a party of dacoits, worthy allies of such a chief, and month after month he waited. Four months he waited, until, having done his part, Caligani should inform him of the near approach of his enemy. One fear possessed Nana Sahib, it was lest news of his death should reach the ears of caligani for if he had reason to believe it would he not abandon his treacherous designs in order to prevent any such mistake nassim had been dispatched to meet the steam-house train on the road from sint communicate with caligani and acquaint him with the exact state of the case immediately after doing so in the crowded caravan of the brinjaris nassim hastened back to the fort of ripore and gave him the latest intelligence of the progress of his victim. Kaligani was bringing him by short journeys towards the Vindyas, and he was to be taken prisoner on the banks of Lake Peturia. All had succeeded to a wish. This time, revenge was certain. And now, now Colonel Monroe stood before Nana Sahib, disarmed, alone, at his mercy. After the first few words these two men continued to gaze in silence one upon another on a sudden the image of lady munro rose so vividly before his eyes that the blood rushed from her husband's heart to his head he sprang at the murderer of the prisoners of Campore. nana sahib merely stepped back two paces while several men flung themselves upon the colonel whom they overpowered though not without difficulty sir edward munro resumed his self-possession which, no doubt, the nabah perceived, for by a sign he made his men retire. Once more the foes stood face to face. At length the nana spoke. "'Monroe,' he said, "'by your people, a hundred and twenty prisoners were blown from the cannon's mouth at Peshawar. Since then, more than twelve hundred sepoys have perished by that frightful death. Your people Ruthlessly massacred the fugitives of Lahore. After the siege of Delhi, they slaughtered three princes and twenty-nine members of the royal family. At Lucknow, they slew six thousand of a race, and three thousand after the campaign of the Punjab. In all, by cannon, musketry, by the gallows and the sword, a hundred and twenty thousand sepoys and two hundred and thousand natives have paid with their lives for the rising in defence of national independence death death cried the dacoits and all the followers of nana sahib he silenced them by a gesture and waited for colonel monroe to speak the colonel gave no answer as for thee monroe resumed the Nabob. My faithful friend, the Rani of Jansi, was slain by thy hand. She is not yet avenged. still, no reply. Four months ago, said Nana Sahib, My brother Balao, Rao, fell under English balls aimed at me, and my brother is not yet avenged. Death, death this time, these words were uttered more furiously, and the whole band made a movement as though to fall upon the prisoner silence exclaimed the nana await the hour of justice all drew back monroe once more continued the nabob an ancestor of yours one hector monroe first invented the punishment of which fearful use was made during the war of eighteen fifty seven he gave the first order to tie the living bodies of our people our parents our brothers, to the cannon's mouth. These words excited a fresh outburst of rage among his followers. Once more he calmed them and said, Monroe, as they perished, so shall thou perish. Behold this gun. And turning round, he pointed to the enormous cannon which occupied the center of the esplanade. It is already loaded. You are about to be bound to its mouth and to-morrow morning, when the sun rises, that cannon's roar shall announce throughout the depths of the Vinyas that the vengeance of Nana Sahib is at last complete. Colonel Monroe fixed his eyes on the nabob with a composure which proved that death, even such a death, had no terrors for him. "'It is well,' he said. "'You do as I should have done, had you fallen into my hands.' And walking up to the gun, he placed himself before it. His hands were tied behind his back, and by strong cords he was bound across its deadly mouth. There, for more than an hour, he was subjected to the base insults of all the savage men. The brave colonel remained unmoved before their outrages, as before death itself. Night fell. Nana Sahib, Kalagani, and Nassim withdrew into the old barracks. Their men at length, weary of tormenting the captive, followed their leaders. Sir Edward Munro was alone in the presence of death and of his god. End of chapter eleven. Recording by Elizabeth Leslie.